Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather in your house and gather in your name. Thank you for these spiritual songs that have prepared our hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to us. Lord, help us with spirit ears today to hear what the Word of God says. We know that these are perplexing times, and we know that there are many people in this room that are frustrated, many people that are uncertain about direction, but I know, O oh God, that you're able through your Word to direct our path. If we will just lean not to our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge you. And I ask you now, O oh Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, O oh Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Turn with me to the book of James. It's over toward the back of your Bible, right before you get to 1 Peter. Amen. Sometimes you have to give a little bit of direction. <laughs> a fellow told me the other day, he said he was look, looking for a scripture and he couldn't find it. And he, the pastor had announced what it was. And, and uh, he was just a looking and said somebody beside him said, uh, it's over in the Old Testament. He said, well, you just listen to the pastor up there. I'm, I'm getting a word from the Lord here. <laughs> well, you got to cover your tracks. You got to think quick, haven't you? Amen. James is that son of thunder that's first introduced to us in the Gospels. He was one of the inner three, James and John and Peter, were the inner circle of the confidants of the Lord Jesus. James was the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. He was the head of the elders. He's a very strong person of great faith and great conviction. He was saddled with the great task of pastoring Jewish people and Jewish converts that still had a lot of leftover Judaism in them. He had to wrestle with the, the controversy concerning the law versus grace. And he had to really kind of help them with Christian day of worship, which was on the Lord's day as we know it to be Sunday instead of the Shabbat, which is Saturday. And uh, there were a lot of those kind of things, meats and drinks and uh, certain holy days. And there was, he was wrestling so much because there was a mix between the old life and the new life in Christ. There were some that wanted to hold on to the traditions of their past rather than make the transformation into becoming a believer in Christ and the resurrection. And the notion that salvation is for everybody. You know, that, that was a real hard place for Jewish people because even Jesus told the woman at the well, salvation is of the Jews. But the Bible said he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as did receive him gave him power to become the sons of God. So this notion that everybody has access to the saving grace of God also includes that you have access into a relationship with the Lord Jesus, that you are a son and a daughter of God, a son or daughter of God, children of God, children of the resurrection, children of eternal life, children of salvation by grace. And that opening of the door to Gentiles was a huge hurdle for the people at Jerusalem to get over. And it took a strong person like James, a preacher of a strong gospel. Now James was one of those uh, preachers that there's no middle ground. 
It was black and white, yes and no, right and wrong, light and dark. There were very, very room, little room for uh, compromise in James. And James just stated the obvious. He, he just talked about double-mindedness and he talked about springs and that give forth bitter water and sweet water and clouds that hold no water and, and all kinds of nuances that, that made a, a certain theological point. He was a deeply theological person. And to read the book of James, you have to understand his background for why he uh, talked like he did. And to, to him... Salvation was not just an act of God's grace entirely. He felt like there were some works that went uh, along with that. Justification by faith, yes, but faith without works is dead, he said. And so he added some of the practical things about living this life with our belief in the saving grace of Jesus. And Paul, of course, was on the other side of the issue, and he was a salvation by grace alone kind of person. But James believed that you need to mix some works by your faith so that it, the faith would become more real if your works were observed before men and give glory to your Father which is in heaven. So James is one of these guys that is more straight-laced than, than others, and he just comes right to the point, and, uh, makes pointed remarks. And uh, in that fourth chapter of James, he talks about uh, drawing near to God and getting close to God. And he says, cleanse your hearts, ye double-minded. And he tells a strong admonition like that. Verse 8 says simply, draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh unto you. The original reading would say, come near to God and he will come near to you. What that tells us is that, that God is reciprocal. That if you reach out to Him, He never leaves a message. He never uh, says, I'll send you a text. He always connects to every person. When you ring His number, you get Him. When He says, call on me, when you call, you get the right number. Because He never disappoints us with inaccurate information. He is always on point, and he always does what he says he will do. Come near. Well, we're in a place right now where we don't come near. We've got this six-foot bubble around us that we call MySpace, and uh, everybody else is supposed to stay outside six feet from me. Well, we allow you to sit with folks and be closer than six foot because you rode in a car with them here. So it's probable that uh, whatever you were going to get, you got it in the car. Amen. So we're, we're, we're observing six foot here if you're not uh, with the folks that you rode to church with. That's a broad interpretation, and thanks be to God for keeping us safe. But in an, an era, era when we're keeping our distance and when we're isolating and we're quarantining and that kind of thing, Debbie's coming home this uh, week, Wednesday, I believe it is, and uh, she says that the law in Maine is that when you leave or cross the state line, uh, you've left the quarantine. And when you come back into Maine, you got to be quarantined for 14 days. Wow. Well, that, what, what that means is uh, she won't be coming home much. 
because she don't like quarantine, period, and you put her by herself in a, in a Hampton Inn, and I'd hate to try to be around her after about three or four days of that. She'd be irritable as all get out. But what I'm saying to you is, is that we're right now in a, a time when our thinking is more divisive, and we're, our thinking is more of pushing away than it is coming together. So it, it's, it's ironic that our God says, come near to me. When you can't come near to anybody else, God says, come near to me. When you're turned away by others who don't want you to touch them and don't want you to hug and don't want you to be around them, God says, I'd love for you to get close enough for me to hug you. God says, I'd love for you to get close enough for me to shake your hand and hug your neck. God says, I want to be close with you. I want you to come to me, and I want you to come close to me. Don't just come in and take a seat somewhere in a corner. I want you to find me, seek me out, and when you find me, get as close as you can to me. Isn't that great? God says, come close to me, and I will come close to you. It's a tough time to live and do church work in an era like we're in right now. Because we're all about one anothering, aren't we? We pray one with another. We confess your faults one to another. We embrace one another when we come into a, another believer's presence. In fact, the Bible even says, greet the brethren with a holy kiss. I'll never, don't you try to kiss me, I'll slap you. <laughs> so all of this togethering is in the Word of God. And it's all about touching. Even Jesus was a toucher, wasn't he? And he allowed himself to be touched. He made himself vulnerable to people and said, you can touch me. In fact, he told one group of men, touch me and see that it is I myself. Touch me. Have, have uh, interaction with me. Have contact with me. One little lady said, if I, I don't have to touch him, if I can just touch his clothes. I know that I'll be made whole if I can just touch the border of his garment. And she received her healing that day. I, I even know that Jesus touched people. He wasn't just touched. He also touched. For he one time spat upon the ground and made clay of the spittle and took the clay and anointed the eyes of a blind man. And the blind man went and washed. And the Bible said, and he came seeing. Well, see, we're in real trouble if we can't touch. We're in real trouble. We're at a tremendous disadvantage, let's say it that way, if we can't touch and we can't do those biblical things that the Bible tells us to do about one anothering. In fact, we have to just do away with some of the things we do in obedience to the Word of God. The Bible said, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them go to him. Well, y'all haven't heard the latest news. We're in a, in a pandemic here. Well, I don't think the Bible really cares too much about a pandemic. Is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. Wow. So the Bible even admonishes us to contact one another, pray one for another, and lay our, well, there's another one. We lay our hands upon people and uh, pray for people because the Bible instructs us 
to lay our hands on people. When someone needs a blessing and we pray for them, the Bible tells us to lay our hands upon them and be a, a blessing. To, well, the Bible is just full of that, isn't it? So let us just conclude the whole matter by saying, it's tough to do church without touching. It's tough to do church when you're scattered from one side to the other and I've got to preach to every corner in the building. It's tough to do that when we're scattered out like we are right now. It's tough. It's a real incumbent, but it beats no worship at all. It beats no service at all. Hey, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. I was thankful to the Almighty for the opportunity to go to the house of the Lord. Amen. So we'll take what we can get, won't we? Because this is better than no worship at all. I've learned one thing, that we all know how important that touching is. And I've sung that song so many times, He touched me. He touched me. I sing another one, Let me touch Him. Let me touch Jesus. Wow. Let me touch Him and He touched me. And I've shouted my shoe heels off while I've sang those songs. And they've been a blessing to me, but we can't touch now. Jesus went so far as to tell every one of us that if His touch can make a difference in our life. He took a little girl by the hand, touched her, took her by the hand, and said, Talitha, arise, kumanai, arise, get up. And immediately, the Bible said she got up. Praise God, touch is so important. So in this season of isolation and quarantine, the social strife and the endless divisive rhetoric that's going on, how does the church go forward? How do we move? How do we get get to going forward, get some momentum, and not just sit and wait. I don't like sitting and waiting, do you? I want us to move forward. I said, I want us to move forward. I want us to grow. I want us to grow spiritually. I want us to grow individually. I want us to grow corporately. I want us to view this time as a, a time when we gain some momentum. The very act of growing is because we're living and I want to tell you, I'm not dead. One or two of you are not dead. What's the matter with the rest of you? Is anybody alive? Are you breathing? Is your heart beating? Are you alive? My God. Well, then the Bible said there ought to be a praise in, in your mouth, and there ought to be a gratefulness in your heart, and there ought to be a worship in your spirit. If you're alive, let everything that hath breath Praise ye the Lord. Hallelujah. I will bless the Lord at all times. So many are preaching the gospel of separation and intolerance. How does anointed people take a stand and declare that peace is God's way and that love is God's nature and that he's willing to come close if we will initiate the move? I said the invitation is there, but you've got to initiate the move. He says, come unto me, and I'll come to you. So the first step is on whose part? Mine. And he says, I won't disappoint you. If you'll come to me, I will come to you. I'll meet you more than halfway. If you'll just reach out to me. That, that guy with that old palsied arm, he'd carried it around for years. No feeling. No usefulness whatsoever, just hanging there on his side. No doubt many people had said, why don't you just 
get that amputated. You wouldn't have to carry it around. It's no good to anybody. It's no good to you. You can't use it. It's dead weight. It's just hanging there. Why don't you just get that amputated and cut off? But one day, he met the Lord Jesus. And the Bible said that Jesus saw him, and Jesus said to him, Stretch forth thy hand. Now, Jesus was a very intellectual person. He knew that that hand is just hanging there. He knew that that hand and that arm was dead weight. He knew he couldn't stretch forth his hand. Why did Jesus try him to do something that he couldn't do? Why did Jesus challenge him to do an impossibility for him? He somehow just wants you to try. I said he somehow just wants you to try. And if you'll put forth some effort and try, he'll meet you more than halfway. For when that man did an attempt and started reaching and stretching with that dumb, dead limb, suddenly something happened. And suddenly it was made as whole as the other. You see, when Jesus says do something, you're best served if you'll get up and do it. In fact, his mother even said to the uh, apostles and said to the disciples, said, said, whatsoever he commandeth you to do, do it. Wouldn't it be great if Harvest could get it in our head that whatsoever God says for us to do, we need to just do it. Whatever the will of the Lord is for us, just do it. Whatever pleases God, just do it. Whatever gives worship and glory and honor to his name, just do it. Just do it. He said, come unto me and I will come nigh unto you. I want to tell you this. If you want what God's got, you got to come to him to get it. If you want what God has got, if you want healing for your marriage, if you want, you want improvement in your finances, if you want healing in your, your family, if you want a better job, if you need something, then come to God. If he's got what you need, then why don't you come to him? I said, if he's got what you need, he's got a bunch of promises. Bunch of promises. And all the promises of God are yea and amen in him. He is not slack concerning his promise. He will do exactly what he says he will do. So if he's promised you, Certain things, one is I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'll go with you all the way, even to the end of the world. If God is a God of promise, then God's got such great things. Eternal life, forgiveness of sin. He's got joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. He's got peace that passes all understanding. He's got justification. He's got a debt settled. He's got all of those wonderful things. And he says, all you got to do is come to me. And I promise you, I'll come to you, he says. If you'll try to come near to me, I'll come near to you. Draw nigh to God, he'll draw nigh unto you. If you want what God has got, that song says, suddenly without warning. Peace speaker. Boy, we love that around here, don't we? I think Lisa sang it the other Sunday. It was such a lovely day. The sun was shining bright. Some of you are in that right now. The sun is shining bright. House paid for, car paid for. Got your check coming every month. 
everything's sweet, everything's nice, everything's hunky-dory. But then suddenly, without warning, storms surrounded my life. I want to tell you, storms can come out of nowhere. And you think you're so secure, and you think you're so, so set, and so, so got it made, and so arrived, I want to tell you, suddenly can bring on a catastrophe. Memorial Day, while you were grilling, while you were spending time with family, the man who played keyboard up here a few weeks ago had a stroke. Weeks ago, this next week, they've got to make a decision about whether to take him off life support. Suddenly, suddenly, just married a year ago, I never will forget going all the way over to Georgia and doing that wedding in a little crowded church. I believe they tried to put 300 people in a church that seat 50. I had to climb over somebody just to get around to the front to give the charge and give them the vows. When I went to looking for the ring, I had to search you, 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 you. I mean, I, I was elbow to elbow with everybody. And I never will forget what he said when I said, I now pronounce you man and wife. He said, oh, yeah, she's mine. And for one year, it was such a lovely day. The sun was shining bright. But about a month ago on Memorial Day, storms surrounded my life. That's how quickly this, these things can change. One bright, sunny morning during a school year, I got a call from South Alabama and in the city where Howard and Ruby's kids lived down around Enterprise. And one of the twins, their grandchildren, was killed in a car wreck that morning. And they'd call me to go and tell Howard and Ruby that their grandchild had just got killed in a car wreck. And when I knocked on the door, you know how Howard is. He said, hey, Pastor, what are you doing up this morning? I said, I've Come to see you. I need to talk to you. Oh, come on in here, Ruby. Sit down in here. Preacher, go to talk to us a little bit. You want some coffee? It was such a lovely day. But when I told him the news that one of the twins got killed in a car wreck that morning on the way to school, that smile left his face. His voice began to tremble. Tears started running down his cheeks. You see, life can change just that quick. Just that quickly. Just that quickly. I was at church preaching down here one Sunday night. Mark came over to me and he said, Pastor, you need to go take care of a situation. I quickly left the service and found out one of our teenagers in our church 
coming back from White Plains, tried to pass a car on a tough place to pass, didn't make it, and one of the kids got killed. It was such a lovely day. But then storms surrounded our life. You see, things can change in life very, very quickly. I could go on and on and on and tell you over 34 years stories just like that. But the point is that when those times come, there's one who says, if you'll come near to me. If you'll come near to me, I will come near to you. That when you're distressed and when you're broken, when you're hurt, when you're embarrassed, when you're dealing with guilt and when you're dealing with all kinds of things in your life, suddenly everything that was so good and so not right and so pleasant suddenly is no more. And now what was pretty has now become ugly and what was wonderful has now become unbearable. And that's when God says, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. It's those times that faith really matters. Faith is just so much words until you're put to the test in a situation like that. Faith is just so many sounds that come out your mouth. But when you're faced with a situation like that, then you realize that faith is more than just telling somebody, I believe God. It's more than just saying to somebody, I, I believe God's going to do this. I believe God's going to do that. Faith is more when it becomes action. You see, I wish that we could all just push a button somewhere and everything would just be all right all of a sudden. But I've learned over the years that what God's timing is not my timing. I, I want things a lot faster than God does. In fact, God is a God of process. Most of the time when God works a work, He puts things in motion. And things start being rearranged and things start falling in place because God works in process. And sometimes we can't process the process. Sometimes we don't understand and sometimes we take exception and sometimes we become critical and we become cynical. Sometimes we, we hunt somebody to blame and sometimes we start pointing fingers and we start trying to find an excuse. David had a terrible, terrible falter in his faith. The great king of Israel, the greatest of Israel's kings, the bloodline through which the Lord Jesus came to us, the house of David. In fact, God made him a promise. He said, a member of your family will always sit on the throne in Israel. David was such a, a popular king. He was loved by everybody until he finally believed his own news clippings and believed how great he was and felt like he was above doing right. He was above keeping himself in right standing. And he had a terrible moral failure. That would have been bad enough. But he called Uriah the Hittite in and had him, had him murdered, had Joab to put him in the battle where the valiant men die and withdraw from him and actually just murder him. 
and now thinking everything's okay and everything's covered and everything's fine, a man of God named Nathan walked into his court and put his finger in David's face and said, Thou art the man. Thou art the man. And the Bible said David went out and he rent his clothes and he fell on the dust of the earth and he laid on the ground for seven days and seven nights and he didn't eat and he didn't drink because he was so ashamed and embarrassed. But finally, on the seventh day when the servants came out and they offered him no food and offered him no drink, he perceived that the child was dead. He got up and he walked in the house and they said to him, why are you doing this? He said, because I knew by your countenance. And he said, I cannot bring that child back to me, but I can go to where that child is. And he wrote the psalm, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. For my sin is ever before me. It haunts me. It lies down in the bed with me at night. God, would you restore the joy? Would you let the joy come back? Would you let the peace come back? The peace, the joy of salvation, the peace of salvation. God, would you just restore how it felt the night you saved me? Would you just restore the, the forgiveness, the, the love, the peace, the joy I felt the night that I realized that I was saved from sin and I, I was a child of God. I was on my way to heaven God, would you put that joy back in me and create within me a clean heart? Would you do a transformation in me, O oh God? You see, the same David that wrote that psalm, the same David that committed that sin wrote the 23rd psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I Shall not won't. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside the still waters, makes me lay down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. Yea, though I walk through the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod, thy staff, they comfort me. When did David stop talking about God and start talking to God? He leads me. He anoints me. He prepares for me. But then he said, your rod and your staff. You see, you won't talk long about God until you'll talk, start talking to God. That's why I always talk to people about God, Don. Because at some point, talking about God will turn into talking to God. For he said, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Surely, goodness and mercy 
shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord. I will dwell where he is near. I will come near to his presence. I will dwell in his presence. Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, don't cast me away from you. Because I esteem the words of your mouth more than my necessary food. I want to be near to you, God. I want to draw nearer to you. Close to God, near to God. What does it mean to be near to God? It means you've been through the process. We've got instant everything. Everything. We want it in an instant. We fuss when it doesn't happen in an instant. We talk mean and hateful to people. I thought this was a fast food restaurant. I've been out here 10 minutes. I know I'm not going to pull up and park somewhere and wait on you to bring my food. I'm going to sit right here in line. Y'all thought I wasn't watching you, didn't you? And I'm not talking about Shelly because she paid for my lunch the other day at McDonald's. I happened to be behind her, and she said, I'm going to pay for that man in that car behind me. And when I pulled up there, they said, yours is paid for. I said, well, who paid for it? said, the woman in the car in front of you. Thanks, Shelly. That's sweet. That's something that we all need to do is show kindness and show hospitality and goodness. Goodness, meekness, the Bible says. Those spiritual fruit. It's a process. It takes God time to get us through the process. And if we're impatient and give up in the middle of the process, we don't ever get near. We follow him from afar. I know personally that process is not my favorite way. You know, I don't have big muscles. Wish I did. I wish Debbie could look at me and say, what a man. And the problem with that is, I say, what a burger. <laughs> I wish people would look at me in different, different ways, but I can never be that. I can never live up to expectations of people. I gave that up a long time ago. I cannot be a men pleaser. The Bible said, if I seek to please men, I cannot be the servant of Christ. But there's one that I want to please. And the Bible said that I may please him who called me. The one who called me. You see, a lot of folks get, get confused in that, that calling thing. I believe every one of us in this house have a calling upon our life. I believe every one of us in this house have a destiny. I believe every one of us in this house have a purpose and a plan of God for us. Coming close is an intentional thing. It means that you're aligning yourself for God to do something in your life. You see, so many people think that, that God is going to hunt you down to fulfill your destiny. Now, that's not the way it works. If you'll look at people that God used, He took them from the ranks of people who were already doing something. It's all right to keep doing what you're doing 
until God tells you better. Amen? How is it that that goes? If you'll quit asking God to bless what you're doing and start doing what God is blessing, you might realize your destiny and you might find your purpose. You wonder, why? well, I can do this over here and it just seems like it works so good, but if I try to do what I really want to do, I, I have all kind of problems, all kind of messes. My advice to you is keep doing what God's blessing. I said keep doing what God is blessing. Stop asking God to bless what you're doing. Boy, I only got about four or five hand claps on that one. That was at least a 50 response. Ought to have been at least 50. That was one of the big punches in this message. Stop asking God to bless something that may not be in His will. Stop asking God to get on board a train that's going to a place He don't want to go. Stop asking God to get involved in something He wants no part of. Amen! But whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. In fact, the Bible said, do everything you do to the glory of God. Do everything you do in the name of Jesus. So if we're to do everything we do with all of our might, do it in the name of the Lord, and do it to glorify Jesus, then you can say, God bless this. But if you're doing something that you're expecting to make you rich and famous, and God's going to say, well, that, that's not compatible with my will for you. I have a different purpose and a plan for you other than to make you rich and famous. Therefore, Paul said, I have learned. Wasn't something I just woke up one morning. There was a process that helped me get to this point. I have learned that whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Not contentious, but content. God help us to be content with the place where God puts us. Let me give you three things right here, and then I'll close. Number one, you've got to stop thinking like you're thinking to draw near to God. You've got to fix your thoughts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. How do I change, then, my thinking? Well, you've got to change your heart because your heart is determining your thinking. So if you're going to change your thinking, you've got to change your heart. And if you're going to change your heart, you've got to put some uh, security guards up at some doors and stop some inflow that's coming into your heart. There's some entry ports in your heart that God is saying you don't need that in your life. There's some things going on in your heart of hearts, the real you. Not the one everybody else sees, but the real you. There's some things going on in your heart. The Bible said, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. The Bible said, from the heart we have believed that doctrine that was preached unto us. It happens in here. You're thinking like you're thinking because there's something going on in here. In your heart of hearts. The real you. Not the one you want everybody to think you are, but the real you. And if you can change your heart, how would I do that? Well, God is in the heart replacement business. He does transplants. He really does. 
Now, Debbie would tell you to this day that when uh, I went and had my open heart surgery that they put another heart in me. She says I'm much more compassionate than I used to be. She says that I'm much more empathetic than I used to be. She says I'm much more loving and kind and understanding than I used to be. She said, I don't know what they did in there, but they did something that put a new heart in. Well, I want her to know, and you too, it's the same old heart I've ever had. But you know, when you do go through situations like that, you, you think about, about some things and you, you sure want to, when you go back there, you want to make sure everything's all right. Don't you fellow heart surgeon patient. When you're going back there for them to take it out and lay it on a table and leave you on a machine over here pumping while they fix your heart and then put it back in there and then say, see you later, and another team comes in and sews you back up. You know what he told me when I dismissed me? He said, now depression goes with this surgery. He said, anxiety, panic attacks goes with this. It panics some people to think that they've gone through this process. He said, I better give you some medicine. He said, because you're going to have that kind of stuff. You know what? I have still got that bottle of them calm me down pills. They're still there. I look at them every morning. When I brush my teeth, they're in the same drawer, and I pull it out, and there they lay right there. Lexapro? Is that what it is? Yeah. I'd have to ask Doc to tell you what that does for you. It's supposed to calm you down. Well, needless to say, I don't need calming down. Some of you think I do, but I don't. But you know, God can create within you another heart. When Saul was anointed king of Israel, the Bible said he went over to a tribesman, and the Bible said they took note of him that God had changed the heart of Saul. You see, when God anoints, he changes things. I said, He changes things. And David said, Lord, create with me in me a clean heart and put within me a right spirit. You've got to change your thoughts. And if you change your thoughts, you've got to change your heart. And if your heart ever changes, your thoughts will change. Second thing you've got to do is adjust your focus. Adjust your focus. The Bible said, There is an eternity. And he said, set your affection on things above and prepare for that existence. Because this one is not really the one. The real one is that one that we anticipate in heaven. Seek those things that are above. Prepare for that life, not this one. This is not it. Touch your neighbor and say, this is not it. No, this is not it. What would a man profit, the Bible said, if he would gain the whole world? If we walked up to you today and said, you are the king of the world. You own all the gold in Fort Knox, Kentucky. You own all the currency in Belgium. You own everything. It's all yours. You're the king of the world. The Bible said, what would that profit a person if he should gain the whole world 
and lose his soul. You see, your soul is more important than houses and lands. It's more important than cars and airplanes. It's more important than riches and, and mortgages and all. It's, your soul is worth so much more than that. And if you could get your focus upon the things that are eternal, not the things that are temporal. The Bible said the things that are temporal, the things you can see are temporal. But it said the things that you cannot see are eternal. Third thing to do is realize and live a, a life of gratefulness to God. I want to Those three things will get you close to God. Live as if today is a day for me to thank and praise the Lord. When you walk in his house, the thing for you to do, when you walk in the door, the Bible says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Come before him with singing and be thankful to him and bless his name. If every day could be a thanksgiving day to God, if every conversation could be accredited to God's goodness and God's grace, if every good thing that happens to you, you could say, thank God for that. Thank God for doing this. Thank God for being there for me at this time. If everything could be in that focus that God is the giver of all good things, one more and I'm through. We used to sing a song that said, And He walks with me, and He talks with me, and He tells me I am His own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known that time you spend near to God, drawing near to Him, it helps you to grow and become what He wants you to be. Hebrews 11 and 6, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh unto God must believe that He is. To acknowledge Him and recognize Him is a big deal in coming near to God. It's very important that you know who God is, that you recognize Him, and that you lift Him up and exalt Him. Second thing, and that He is a rewarder of people who draw nigh to Him, people who seek Him out, people who search for Him. He says in His Word, Seek me and you'll find me. He says, Knock and it will be open. Ask and you'll receive. Seek and you shall find. God is looking for somebody that will say, Lord, I want to come close to you. Stand with me, please, all over the house. I know that we can't pray around in the altars like we want to, but you can pray right there where you are because God hears every prayer. God hears every prayer. Well, Lord, Michelle's going to be praying. You sure you can hear me? Sam's going to be praying. Lord, you sure you can hear me? I want to tell you that he hears all the prayers in this building and all the prayers outside this building. He hears prayers on the street. He hears, hears prayers in the apartment. He hears prayers in Canada. He hears prayers in Britain. He hears every prayer that is prayed, every voice that is lifted up to God, he hears it. And he's able today to do exceedingly abundantly. You may say, well, Pastor, I need that new heart you preached about. If you'll believe, all things are possible if you'll just believe. Lord, I want what David got, that, that, that joy of salvation. Lord, I want that clean heart, right spirit. I want those things, God. In Jesus' name, God says you can have it. 
ask and you will receive. It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the things that you desire. Would you just raise your hand right now and pray with me? God, in Jesus' name, I thank you for everyone assembled in this building and thank you for the opportunity of talking about coming to God, drawing near to God. Thank you, God, that there are many instances in our lives when we've drawn near to you. There have been times when we've depended upon you and you've given us strength to make it through difficulty. And we thank you, God, for all of the gifts that you've given us through the years. Thank you for trust and hope and faith. Thank you for courage. Thank you for commitment. Thank you for dedication. Help us, oh God, to be the people of destiny and be people of mission and people of vision. Touch every dad, every mom in this room that as we celebrate freedom today, oh God, this next week as we celebrate the freedom that we have as citizens of a free country, we thank you for that. But God, help us to more than that, thank you for the freedom that we have in the Lord Jesus. Freedom from sin and fear from the tyranny of death and hell and the grave. We bless you today, God. 30 seconds of the best praise you got. Come on, let's go. Come on, let's go. 30 seconds of the best you got. Best you got. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your name. Glory to God in the highest. We love you, Lord. We exalt you. We lift your name on high. We bless you and praise you. Your praise is continually in our mouth. We love you. We love you. We love you. We're the sheep of your pastor. We're the people of your hand. Praise God. God, go with you and give you a good week and have a good 4th of July. Be careful and be safe. Amen? I love you. Supposed to say I love you too. All right. God bless you and God go with you.